0: When you see this sentence, how would you fill in the blanks? To live is blank. To die is blank. What do you focus your life on? What takes your resources, your time, your thoughts, your actions? For some people, it is money. For them to live is money. But when they die, they're bankrupt. Because they can't take it with them. For others, to live is for fame. But when they die, they're forgotten. It's a hard truth for us who are living. But in about 150 years or so, there won't be a single person on this earth who even knows who you were. I asked in the first service, how many people knew their great-great-grandparents? There were a couple of hands. I said, how many know your great-great-great-grandparents? There were a couple more hands. So some of these people really are history buffs and really know their family trees. But but, but for most of us, honestly, I I don't know who my great-great-grandparents are. Especially if you told me to name all, I guess there's four, I don't know, 12, 16 of them or whatever. I don't know, you get more and more of them each generation. I don't know who they are. So to live for fame, you're quickly forgotten once you die. For others to live is is power, but when they die, they lose all control. You don't have control over anybody. When you're dead, someone else takes over. For others, it's to live for happiness. But if you're not a Christian, when you die, there is great sorrow among those who are left behind and you. Others live for their family. Their whole focus is on family. But when you die, you leave your family behind. And so do you see how the pursuits of life that so many of us strive after, when our life is over, those disappear. And what have we really lived for? You know this verse very well. Where Paul says in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You've probably memorized it. You probably have seen it on a bumper sticker. I've seen it in a meme nowadays. Nobody has bumper stickers. To live is Christ, to die is gain. For Paul, the focus of his life was on Christ and Christ alone. And his life was filled with joy because he knew whether he lived, he'd be filled with joy as he lived for Christ. Or if he died, he'd be filled with joy because he'd be in the presence of Christ. And so that's what he explains to us as we come to Philippians chapter 1. We'll read these verses. There's joy in life and death if we live for Christ. Verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So Paul says, if he lives, he has joy because he's working for Christ. Remember, Paul lives in prison. He's under house arrest. He's lost his freedom. So he can no longer go and plant churches. He can no longer go and uh, encourage churches in person. He's lost his freedom. All he can do is write, which he's doing. All he can do is talk to the guards, which he's doing. So he's doing a lot of work for Christ as he's there imprisoned. But he knows if he gains his freedom and continues to live, he can do even more for Christ. He can go on more missionary journeys, plant more churches. He can go to more churches and encourage them in the faith. You see, he doesn't know what his life entails in its future because he's waiting trial. The trial may go his way. He may be released from prison. He will have this life to live and that fills him with joy. Or he may be found guilty, may be executed and lose his life. Well, that too will bring him joy. Because he'll be in the presence of the Lord. But he thinks about all the opportunities you'll have to do more work for Christ. He'll have an opportunity to uh, encourage the Philippians and their faith. He'll have an opportunity to go see them in person as he encourages them. And he will be able, the Philippians will be able to boast in what God has done. The Philippians are praying for Paul's release. What a testimony it would be for Paul to stand in the midst of their congregation one Sunday and for the congregation to applaud the Lord and boast in what Christ has done. Here was our brother in prison and we prayed for his freedom and we sent help to him. And now he's free and now he's here. Look what the Lord has done. You see all the wonderful things that will happen. Paul imagines if he's released from prison. Continue to do God's work, encouraging the churches, planting more churches. A testimony of God's power, of the power of answered prayer. So Paul has a lot to look forward to. That's why he's so excited. Did you see last week he had joy right there in the house where he's under arrest? As he imagined his future, he had joy if it was a future where he could serve God more. But he also imagined his future and imagined one where he would be dead. And that also gave him joy. Because he said that would be far better than living on this earth. Even as much as Paul was excited about the joy of doing more work for Christ. He also knew that that work meant suffering. It meant pain. It meant hard travel. It meant preaching in places where he might be arrested again. It meant combating false teachers. It meant uh, trying to bring unity to churches. It meant trying to teach people who wouldn't listen. Uh, He had had already a difficult life of ministry. He's excited that it might continue, but he also knows how difficult it will be. Uh, Life is difficult, no matter what your profession, no matter what your age No matter what you do, life on this earth is filled with disappointment. It's filled with sorrow. It's filled with death. It's filled with struggle. It's filled with heartache. And Paul imagines being in the presence of the Lord where all that's gone. There's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death, no more pain, no more tears. I mean, who can't imagine that and not get excited about it? He was filled with joy, imagining that homecoming, imagining standing before the Lord. You see, because his life was focused on Christ, he had joy in chains. He had joy in a future where he'd do more work for Christ. He had joy in a future where he was dead in the presence of Christ. Because his life was focused only on Jesus, no matter what happened to him, he was filled with joy because his life was always about Jesus. Where we often don't have joy in our life is because our life isn't about Jesus. It's about those other things we pursue in life. And when we pursue those, there's always disappointment. And in the end, we always lose. I love the metaphors that are used of the word that Paul used to talk about going home. He says, to depart. That Greek word depart was used of soldiers folding up their tents. And leaving the battle. It, it was used of ships that had been moored to a dock... ...but now they're being released and they're set sail and they're free. It was used of prisoners who were in prison... ...but now they have been let out of prison and they're set free. It was used of animals that were yoked together... ...but the yoke has been taken off and now they are free. That word depart, that Paul used of his death... ...notice how often it's used of freedom... The death for the Christian is a freedom from the cares of this world, from the sin of this world, from the sorrows of this world, into the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in a perfect place. That gives us joy. Now Paul said it was hard to choose. And I think that's true for most people to get closer to death, especially people who are... Hurting, maybe in physical pain, or they lived a long life and there was a lot of sorrow. And so, isn't it? Don't you think it's true that as people find themselves in circumstances that are less likely to improve or less likely to have less pain, I think they choose more and more. Well, let me just go home, Lord. I'm ready. And maybe those who are younger and who are living the good life and who have lots to look forward to, they're probably choosing. Well, I'd rather stick around a little bit longer. You know, I'm not quite ready to go. And so Paul, I guess, is right there in the middle because he's looking at both situations. He says, either one's great for me. And uh, I remember, uh, I've told you my story many times about my heart problems, but I've shared this before, but I wanted to share it again because it's very appropriate for this time. Uh, There was only one night through my whole ordeal where I really felt like When I went to sleep that night, I did not know whether I'd wake up in the hospital room or I would wake up in heaven. That's how serious my condition had been that day into that night. And I remember thinking like Paul. Because I thought, well, if I live... I've got a family. I've got a kid in middle school, a kid in high school, a kid in college. I have have a wife. I have a wonderful church family. I want to do more ministry for the Lord. I I was thinking of all the things that I wanted to do, the things I wanted to experience, the things that I could do for God or just that I could live life. And I thought, I I want to do those things. I, I want to live and that would be wonderful to live. But I also thought, if I wake up in heaven... I don't have to worry about all the cares of this world anymore, and God will take care of my children and my wife, and will take care of the church. And you know, if I woke up in heaven, it'd be far better than the life on this earth. Now, for me, it was an easy choice. You know, if God gave me one, I wanted to stick around. Uh, but you know, I also realized that it was God's choice; it wasn't mine. And in that moment, God really did give me a peace that whatever he chose was not only okay with me, but was going to be a wonderful thing. And I thank him for that peace that night. And Paul had that peace. But he didn't care which one God chose for him, because both were filled with joy. Now, but Paul says to live for Christ... Excuse me, for me to live is Christ. What does that mean? It's easy to say the verse, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But what does it look like to live for Christ? Uh, Paul uses an illustration. He talks about citizenship. Here's a a picture of of a green card. So, of course, here in the U.S., if someone lives here who's not a citizen, but they have permission to live here and to work here, they get a document that says they are, they used to call them resident aliens. They don't like to use that alien word anymore. So now you see the card says permanent resident, okay? But, and I like this card, and of course it's a sample one. The person's name is Tess W. Specimen. So, and now, in case you're looking for a name for your next child, a grandchild, Tess W. Specimen, I would not recommend. Uh, but anyway, we know that there are people, and, and Sarah is one. Sarah has a green card, And so she is not a citizen of the U.S. She's a citizen of uh, the United Kingdom. So she's a citizen there, but she lives here. And as uh, Philippi, where the Philippians lived, it was a Roman colony in a Greek country. It was in Greece. But a lot of the people who lived there were Roman citizens. So the people in Philippi understood exactly what Paul was talking about. Because a lot of them lived in Greece, but they were citizens of Rome. And they were proud of that. And they got benefits to that. And so Paul uses that example. He says, Now, look, you live here on this earth, but you're not citizens of the earth. You're citizens of heaven. And so he says, Live like it. He says, Just one thing. Now, Paul was a preacher in his writings. I'm sure he was in his speaking. You know, when a preacher says just one thing or just one more point, he means another 10. Well, that's what Paul does here too. Okay, he says, just one more thing, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I know you've heard the songs about it. And I know you've, this isn't the first time you've heard this picture, but I do like it. It helps us understand how to live on this earth. Because this earth is not our home. We will live on this earth for a lifetime, but then we will die. And we'll be with the Lord in heaven. And that's our home. And so we should always live with eternity in mind. We should always live with heaven in mind. And we should always live our life as though we're already living there because that's where our citizenship is. I mean, you don't roll up into heaven and just start sinning left and right, do you? I mean, you don't roll up into heaven and ignore God. So why would we live our life on earth like that? We shouldn't. We should live our life as citizens of heaven. And so that also reminds me not to get too attached to the things of this earth. It's like I mentioned before, the wealth and the fame and even, yes, even family. That's all temporary for this time, for this life. But it's not for eternity. And and I'll even say that this is hard for me to say and it's difficult for me to understand. But even in our family, we're talking about this this week. You know, a lot of people, when they think of heaven, the first thought they have is, I can't wait to see mama. I can't wait to see daddy. I can't wait to see uncle so-and-so. I can't wait to see grandma, grandpa. And, you know, I don't even know what kind of relationship we are going to have with our relatives in heaven. Because I know this, Jesus specifically told us that husband and wife won't be husband and wife in heaven. So if your spouse dies before you, yes, you will be in heaven and you will see them. If they are Christian, you are. And I'm sure it will be a joyous homecoming. I'm not taking that away. But you're not going to be husband and wife for eternity. And I wish more Christians would say, I can't wait to see Jesus. That's the focus of our homeward going and the focus of our eternity. I don't want to take that away. That is true. We will see family. We will be reunited. I'm not saying to ignore that. I'm not trying to say that that is silly. I'm not trying to take that away from you. It's true. It's real. And it is a comfort. But it is not the essence of what heaven is. The essence of heaven is not being reunited with our families. It's being in the presence of God. And throughout eternity, we will be related. I don't believe related as family. I believe families for this earth will be related as one family. Brothers and sisters of Christ. So I just want you to think about that when you think about heaven. Because again, it shows me, as Jesus said, there's some disciples that have had to leave family for the sake of Christ. And Jesus even says... That our love for God in comparison to love for our family should look like hate. And one verse, the way he says it, you should hate your family. Because the focus of our life shouldn't even be our family. It should be God. So the focus of our life should be Jesus. Not money, fame, power, family. We're citizens of heaven. So, then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Paul says to live as a citizen of heaven. What does that mean? He tells us here what that means. It means that we are to be united as brothers and sisters. And we are to stand firm in one spirit and one accord. We cannot... Paul talks here that there's a struggle. There's a battle. And we as Christians cannot win the battle if we are divided among ourselves. There is a battle, a spiritual one, between us and Satan and his demons. There's a spiritual battle between God and his angels and Satan and his angels. And we're a part of that. There is a battle, so to speak, between the truth of the gospel and the lies of our culture and the lies of Satan. There is a battle. And we cannot win that if we're bickering among ourselves and divided among ourselves and fighting with one another. Paul says, stand firm. Stand together. Be united. That's what it looks like when we're living as citizens of heaven. And also we're contending. That's a a, a struggle word. That's a battle word. We're fighting. We're contending. We're proclaiming the truth. And we are standing for the truth. And we're sharing the gospel and getting it out there because he says we should not fear our opponents, but we should suffer for Christ. I'm thankful we live in a country where we have not yet had to suffer like our brothers and sisters have in the rest of the world. Right now, we truly do not have to fear that if we say Jesus, that we're going to be arrested, that we're going to be executed, imprisoned. But there are our brothers and sisters who that is a real fear. Every time they worship together, every time they pass a Bible, every time they speak the name Jesus Christ, they're in danger of losing their life. We haven't got there yet, but it's amazing to me how afraid we are of those who would oppose us. The opposition in America isn't bullets or handcuffs. What we get thrown at us are labels are harsh words or uh, a negative attitude toward us. Yet that in in itself is enough to shut up some Christians. (laughs) You know, sometimes some Christians are afraid to even mention Christ or share their faith because someone might not like them anymore. Someone might say something bad about them. Someone might say no when we invite them to church. Well, I'm not going to invite them. I don't want to hear that word. You know, isn't it amazing how we have brothers and sisters suffering for the sake of Christ and we in America are afraid even to speak Jesus' name or share our faith because someone might not like us. Paul says there should be no fear of your opponents. No fear of those against Jesus Christ. And in fact, he says, don't fear and boldly speak and proclaim and if you suffer for Christ, that's what you're meant to do. Again, to to American ears, that's the almost the last thing we want to hear as Christians. But I want you to see the verse again where Paul says this, verse 29, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Why don't we put that in a meme (laughs) and put that on a bumper sticker? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's memorize that one. What about memorizing this one? You have been called not only to believe, but also to suffer. For the early church, this made complete sense. They would understand this and not have any qualms about it. You know, in the early church, for them, when they aligned themselves with Christians and with Jesus, they expected they would be persecuted. It went hand in hand. They didn't expect one without the other. They didn't expect to proclaim Christ and then have an an easy life. They expected to have a hard life. And one reason they did was because that's what Jesus had. Uh, We often think about becoming like Christ as more of the characteristics of Christ. As we think about being more Christ-like, we think about being more uh, kind and more compassionate and more bold and truth-telling or or, or whatever, or the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc., But the early church thought even more literally that Christ was the Son of God. Jesus proclaimed, I am the Son of God. He proclaimed the truth. And for telling the truth, proclaiming to be the Son of God, he he suffered and he died. And so they expected, if we proclaim the truth, Jesus is the Son of God. And if we proclaim the truth to authority and we proclaim the truth to this culture, we're going to suffer and we may die. They expected that. But they didn't shy away from it. That's what Paul says. Don't be afraid of it. This is what you've been called to do. You have been called not only to believe in Jesus, but to suffer. So we as American Christians in the 21st century, I challenge myself and all of us, don't be afraid of opponents of Christ. Stand firm. Contend for the faith. Believe in Christ and suffer for Him. That's what it is to live for Christ. It's a joy. At some point we may suffer for Christ and die. That's a joy. We'll be in the presence of the Lord. And that's what Paul means for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. This is the last verse I want to share. This is Paul's prayer. He says in verse 20, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I want to read it again. Listen to it carefully. I would love to make it our prayer this morning. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That verse, that prayer, that hope and expectation Paul has summarizes his life. And it should summarize our life as well. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of any sin in our life because there isn't any. We've confessed it, we've repented. So there's no shame in our life. And its place is courage, and its place is living a life where Christ is honored in our bodies whether we live or we die. May that be our prayer this morning and every day of our life. Heavenly Father, Father, I know you have given us life. And you have given us eternal life for those who believe in your son Jesus. And my prayer this morning, Lord, is simply Paul's. That the life that I and my brothers and sisters live would be lived for you. And that in our death, we will experience the eternal life in full in your presence. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what it means to live as citizens of heaven on this hostile earth. I pray you would help us to stand together in one accord, in unity, so that we can contend for the truth of the gospel. And even when we suffer for doing that, we consider it joy. Because you, Lord Jesus, suffered and died for us. So Lord, I pray that you would in some ways change our perspective. and Change our attitude. Make them in line with what you have called us to be. You have called us to be citizens of heaven. You've called us to believe and you've called us to suffer. May that be the calling we hear and follow and obey. And I pray Jesus in your name. Amen.